possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Just switch everything on. Okay. Dear Michael, I today purchased a box of your broken biscuits for a meeting at work. The meeting was with our bank manager, and we were hoping to negotiate some favourable terms for an overdraft facility to help us through the credit crunch. On opening your biscuits, I was horrified to discover that not all of the biscuits were in fact broken. And despite me hastily snapping as many biscuits as I could, the damage had already been done. Our bank manager refused the overdraft and cited our biscuit extravagances as evidence of our poor business management, claiming that in difficult times there is no shame in serving broken biscuits or even wagon wheels to our visitors. This is clearly going to impact on our business heavily, and I wanted to ask you to please make sure it was more clear on your packaging of the Dunkables range that some of the biscuits may indeed not be broken to avoid further potential embarrassment to businesses like us or even old ladies who serve them to their family and friends while pleading that the old A pension is still insufficient to cover living costs. <laughs> kind regards, Nigel Short. Dear Mr. Short, 
without prejudice. Thank you for your electronic mail. Prima facie, you seem to be making serious allegation of misrepresentation. On behalf of the Freeman's Confectionery Supplies, I would like to submit my humblest apologies for any discomfort you may have experienced from the circumstances of the bank manager incident. Whilst you have my sympathy, no liability is admitted, no refunds will be entertained, and no compensatory damages will flow. I agree there are few things less pleasant than having painstakingly engineered low expectations into a third party. Circumstances then render them pleasantly surprised by the quality or quantity of your offering. I am minded of similar circumstances arising out of my wedding night. I was, of course, a much younger man, but then I digress. Short, you sound like a man of the world, hard-headed and to the point, so I'll make no bones about it. We pride ourselves on our low standards of customer service. And anyone who imperils that hard-won reputation is in danger to the organization. Accordingly, following an appropriately Stalin-esque inquisition, we have summarily dismissed the biscuit-breaking operative responsible for this outrageous negligence and had them blackballed from any equivalent employment for life. I know one shouldn't be hard on single mothers, especially in the economic climate to which you've alluded, but we take strong exception to any breach in our quality standards. I hope this no-nonsense approach is to your liking. I know it won't soften the bank manager's heart, but let's face it, that was never going to happen. I propose the old folk, what with index-linked pensions and cold weather, heating allowances, we are modelly coddling the old maligners already. They'd be better served prudently lining their shoes with newspaper rather than spending their leisure hours fritting away their lavish state pensions on bingo and broken biscuits. <laughs> Yours faithfully, Michael Riley. P.S. The giving of wagon wheels is now strictly prescribed under Article 12 of the Human Rights Act. <laughs> A very humorous response to a somewhat ridiculous letter of complaint written to the Freeman's Confectionery Supplies. Um, this morning we're going to look at Paul's response to a letter of complaint written by the Corinthians. Now we know it's a letter, uh, a, a response to a letter, because in chapter 7, as Steve told us last week, he writes, Now for the matters you wrote about. And last week Steve took us through the first few issues um, sex, marriage, divorce, and singleness. It was a tough old week. So here at the start of the chapter 8, he says, Now about food. Not broken biscuits, but food sacrificed to idols. And the other thing that tells us this is a response is that there are quotation marks around certain key phrases. In verse 1, we all possess knowledge. And in verse 4, an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. So it's quite likely that Paul is responding to things that they have said in their letter. And he uses quotation marks in much the same way Michael Riley referred to the bank manager incident. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the letter that the Corinthians wrote to Paul. But judging from his response and making a bit of guesswork, I think it went something like this. Dear Paul, I hope this letter finds you well. I hear Ephesus is lovely this time of the year. Things are going well here in Corinth, although we have some issues with certain believers. There are those who are complaining about us eating meat which has been sacrificed to idols. Can you believe it? How silly. You and I possess knowledge, and we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, don't we? There is no good God but one, so why should there be any issue eating meat sacrificed to made-up gods? Please write back in support so I can show them how ridiculous they are being. Lots of love, Dave. 
So here's the situation. Um, Dave, the Corinthian I've just made up, and to be clear, I am just making this up. That's not scriptural. Um, he lived in a society which was polytheistic, which is a fancy way of saying they believed in many gods. Uh, we live in a society that is generally monotheistic. We believe in one god um, or no gods, which is atheistic, or people aren't really sure, which is agnostic. Um, but David in this world where there were many, many gods. Um, we've already mentioned uh, Steve and me over the last few weeks, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Um, but of equal fame in Corinth was the temple to Poseidon. All of Corinth's trade came from the sea, so it made sense to make sure the god of the sea was, was happy. Uh, there was also temples to Apollo, to Hermes, to Venus Fortuna, to Isis, to Demeter, to Asclepios, and to many, many more. There was even a temple to the Pantheon, which is all the gods. Lots of temples, lots of shrines everywhere. Lots of gods waiting to be appeased, to be kept happy. And one of the ways you did that was to sacrifice meat to them. So you would bring um, your chicken wings to the temple, and then your wings would be divided three ways. Okay? Some of them would be burnt on the altar to appease the god, whoever temple you were at. Some would be given to the priests who, as payment for their services, and then you would get to take the rest home for your dinner. And because there were so many offerings that were made, um, the priests couldn't possibly eat all of the wings or various other meats, um, so they would sell them. And the price would normally be lower than that of the regular market. So sort of like the Aldi of its day. That's not to say that Aldi meat has been sacrificed to idols. <laughs> I have no basis for that allegation. Um, but it was cheap. So it was everywhere. Uh, Apollos bacon, Poseidon steak, Venus pork chops, whatever you wanted. Now Dave knew that these gods were false, made up. Um, so for him, there was no issue barbecuing up an Asclepios burger for his dinner. However, there were those in the church who had lived their entire lives for these idols, sacrificed to them, and then they'd come to believe in the one true God and no longer wanted anything to do with them or meat sacrificed to them. When they were faced with this reminder from their past, there was a, a revulsion towards it. And these are the people that Dave is complaining about. So let's have a look at Paul's response. 1 Corinthians 8, if you've got your Bibles with you, please flip them open. <clears throat> so Paul begins, Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Now, if you haven't twigged already, this isn't the response that Dave was hoping for. Paul is somewhat on the attack. <clears throat> and he says that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, Paul isn't wanting to disparage knowledge or endorse ignorance, but what he wants him to see is that knowledge applied without love is worthless. So he rebukes him. He says, you think you know the answers, but actually you've missed the point. The message paraphrase puts it this way. It says, we sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these sorts of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. And it's possible in, in the Christian faith to grow in knowledge and wisdom, but fail to grow in love and grace. 
Now, a little bit later on in this letter, in a few weeks, we're going to come to this chapter. Paul writes some of the most profound words ever written about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the passage that you will have heard at every single wedding that you've ever been to, ever. But sometimes we forget these words weren't written, actually, to couples about to get, be married, but they were written to the church. They were written to believers. This was Paul telling them how that they should behave towards each other. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You remember how proud these Corinthians are all the time. It does not dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. He says this is love. And the letter that had been sent to Paul whatever it may have said, was showing him that they were not acting in love towards each other. They were not being patient with their fellow believers, and they were certainly not being kind. Their boastfulness and pride in their own intellect and wisdom was in fact unloving. They were self-seekers, and therefore not God-pleasers. Listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, For whoever loves God is known by God. Their attitude has caused Paul to even begin to wonder whether or not they're Christians. If this is your attitude, do you really know God? Does he really know you? Because you see, their relationship with God should be providing them with a paradigm for how they should treat others. Let me me explain that, because it's it's the same for us. You see, none of us came to faith because of our um, intellectual superiority. None of us figured it all out. We didn't have all the answers. We came to God because we responded to his love and grace. It says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. And this is the heart of our faith. You know, Jesus demonstrates his love on the cross when he lays down his life. John 10, 11, one of my favorites, says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And then later in John 15, 13, he says, Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is the heart of our faith. Love in response to love and grace. And Paul says, this should be your highest priority. This comes first. Francis Schaeffer once said, If we do not show love to one another... The world has a right to question whether our Christianity is true. And I think this is the concern that Paul had for the Corinthian church. Guys, where is the love? Okay. In verse 4 then, he comes back to the question at hand. He says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. He agrees with them. The knowledge isn't incorrect. But then he goes a whole step further. If we come down to verse 6, he says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And what he's doing is he's showing them the bigness of God. All things came from him. All things exist for him. And Jesus too. You know, this is where we started our service today, wasn't it? Singing about how great 
our God is. How wonderful he is. Steve read that incredible um, verse from Isaiah to us. And um, I was just reminded as I was reading this of a, a, a psalm, Psalm 50, where it says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or the goats from your pens. This is Jesus, God talking about sacrifice. He says, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. God is above all, even, even the insects. You know, next time you're freaking out about that spider in your bath, God's like, I know him. That's Gary. Leave him alone. <laughs> He's bigger than all of it. You see, the Corinthians are so wrapped up in what power might be found in their idols. They're so concerned about what power might be left in their idols. And Paul says, don't worry about it. God is bigger. Whatever gods, whatever idols you had before, God is bigger. Whatever addiction or habit is in your life, God is bigger. Whatever struggle you have, He is bigger. And there's a story in the Old Testament that, that I think illustrates this in a wonderful way. Um, it's in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 5. Just turn to it if you've got your Bibles open. And just to give you some context, at this point in history, the presence of God was resting on something called the Ark of the Covenant. It was essentially a box. Um, and the idea was that wherever the people of God went, the presence of God would go with them. Um, we don't need a box anymore because God now lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But this was the case in history. And the people of God, they lost their box. They lost the presence of God. It was taken by the Philistines. And listen to what it says. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Uh, then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Now, Dagon was their god. It was a, a, a statue, a, an idol of some sort, probably made out of stone. And they placed the ark next to it to show the victory of their God over the God of Israel. And it says, verse 3, When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon, fallen on his face, on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hand had broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. They had to step over their head and hands of their God to get into the temple. I mean, really, the Philistines should have given up on their God the first time they had to prop it back up. If you have to prop up your God, it's no God at all. Such was the power of the presence of God that even the stone statue fell before it. I want you to know this morning, if there is something in your life that is keeping you from God, you need to know it doesn't have the power you think it has. Compared to God, it's nothing at all. Even the stones fall down before him. You know, we have the victory in Jesus. And I mean, if, if you're struggling this morning, please don't leave this place without praying with someone. Because we have the victory. Our God is bigger. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> right, where did we get to? Um, <coughs> verse 7. 
Paul writes, not, uh, every, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So there were some in Corinth that just couldn't shake their past. Um, and for some, those idols still had a hold over them, even though that they weren't real. I remember um, a number of years ago, we took uh, Amelie to the Doctor Who experience in Cardiff Bay. There it is. A lot of the show is filmed in Cardiff, so they've got this big warehouse type of thing with all the props and stuff in it. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Doctor Who, it's, it's a British science fiction TV show. It, it's on Netflix. Take a week off work. Catch up. It's, well, like on season 10, it's worth it, okay? Really good. Um, but we took Amelie to this experience, and it was, oh, it was brilliant. You know, we got there, um, and there was a guy, and he introduced us to the kind of museum, and then the doctor appears on the screen. And it's the real doctor. He's the hero. Um, and, he, and he says he needs our help saving the planet. So we, and then his spaceship appears. That's called the TARDIS. Um, and we, you've never seen me so animated, have you? Uh, uh, and then you go in the TARDIS, and it's like this perfect recreation um, you know, the console's there and the floors shake and steam comes out and you get to twiddle the knobs and all the rest of it. Um, and it was brilliant. I mean, well worth it. I haven't got shares, I promise. Um, and Amelie was having the time of her life until the Daleks came. Now, the Daleks are the bad guys, if you don't know. Um, and they're these, like, big metal robot things that want to exterminate you. Now, to me and Sean, it was just this f- bit of fun. You know, we knew it was animatronic. You know, we sort of played along a bit. But it, it, was, it wasn't real. But to Amelie, she thought her time was up. And she clung on to me for dear life. And she screamed and she cried. And I could not console her. And it was awful, actually. I had to sort of race through and, and get her out. You know, I missed off the exhibition. Um, <laughs> it was a big mistake. It was a, as a parent, it was a big mistake. As a Doctor Who fan, it was a big mistake. Um, but you see, what might seem harmless to us won't necessarily appear as harmless to other people. And we have to bear in mind those that are younger in the faith, those for whom certain temptations are still around. And still difficult for them. So Paul gives us, he gives us this principle in verse 9. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, Paul was talking about food. That's the, the context of this is, is food sacrificed to idols. But I know that there are many, many ways that we can apply this to us today. You know, you're free. You're free to go out and have a few drinks after church if you want. The sun's out, the beer gardens are open. What about if we know someone who struggles with drinking too much? Someone that's had difficulties with that in the past. You know, you're free to, to place a bet. You can play the lottery if you want to. I think you're throwing away your money, but you can. But what about someone that's had an addiction to gambling? We're free to watch horror movies, but what about someone we know that has maybe had some more dealings with the occult in the past? Someone who is going to bring back very real memories. You're free to watch TV shows with a bit of, bit of sex and nudity in. What about someone we know who struggles with pornography? And we're talking about this show and we're encouraging them to watch it and actually, for them, it's tearing them up. 
because it's just leading them back somewhere they don't want to go. You see, and as much as we're free to do these things, we're also free not to do them for the sake of others. And this is Paul's point. Just because something is not an issue for us doesn't mean it isn't an issue for those around us. And the thing is, I think when, often when we come to faith, God does an incredible work of freeing us from the things or the sins in our life that have had a hold over us. Yeah, I'm sure that's your, some of your experience, or you've seen that in others. And those of us who mature in the faith, we have a responsibility to make sure that people remain free. Did you know that? Even if it means giving up things that we ourselves have no issue with. Now, our vision, our heart as a church, is that we'll be a place where anyone can walk into our service and, and find God in our midst. We take extra care to look out for people as they arrive. We, we explain things. We try not to talk in a, a lofty language. We want people to feel comfortable with us so we can introduce them to Jesus. But our responsibility doesn't end on a Sunday morning. We need to ensure that the example we set day to day is a good one. Listen to what he, he says next, verse 10. He says, For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, that's outside of the church. That's not a Sunday morning, that's another time, in the week perhaps. Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols, so that this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge? When you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. This is strong stuff. Paul says, if by our example we lead people down a path that for them is a sin, we can destroy them. You might say, well, aren't all sins the same? Well, no. Because an idol can be anything, can't it? Anything that consumes us more than God, for us, can become an idol. You know, I think for a lot of young people, it's maybe video games. I realize that makes me sound old. Um, but they can spend hours and hours and hours consumed by these games. I had a neighbor once, I'm fairly sure for him it was his car. He would wash it every evening, shine it, polish it, kiss it, all the rest of it. What about the person who can't stop looking at Facebook? First thing they do in the morning, last thing they do at night. That's probably a personal one. There are many areas in our life which may be bordering on idolatry that we need to look at. Maybe you're being challenged about that this morning or through the week. Maybe the Holy Spirit is just highlighting something to you that has become big in your life, bigger than perhaps God. And maybe you just say, well, there's no idols in my life. God is the only one for me. That's fantastic. What about the person sitting next to you? And this is Paul's point. Here's the truth of it. Jesus died to set us free from the things or the sins that have kept us from God in the past. If by our example we lead them back to the things that held them captive, then we destroy the work of the cross in their life. Can I just give you that again? Jesus died to set us free from the things or sins that have kept us from God in the past. If by our example we lead them back to the things that held them captive, we destroy the work of the cross in their life. Paul finishes this way, and I mean, this is so strong. He doesn't make it easy for us. 
He says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. He would rather be a vegetarian than cause someone to fall away from God. How seriously do we take our responsibility to our Christian sisters and brothers? Can we honestly say that if what I do causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never do that thing again so that I will not cause them to fall? What a challenge. Hard, isn't it? I'm going to finish. I just want us to look um, back at verse 11, because I think this is important. He says, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. What's Paul doing with this sentence? He's putting the problem, the complaint that they had in the shadow of the cross. That's why he mentions Christ. For whom Christ died. Why is he doing that? We think about the person of Jesus. Jesus never said, I am free to live however I please. In fact, what he said was, I am free to lay down my life for the sake of mankind. Jesus denied it all that we might be free. This is our supreme example of love. We love because he first loved us. Compared to the work of Jesus, compared to the sacrifice of Jesus, our insistence, perhaps sometimes on our own freedom, pales into comparison. So what idols might be in our life? And if there are none, what might we need to lay down for the sake of others? You know, I sort of mentioned about immature and mature believers. It's, I think sometimes it doesn't matter if we're a mature believer. Because I think idols can creep in to us. Subtly, sometimes. And just distract us from God. It's worth self-evaluating from time to time. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the example of Paul, someone who was willing to say that if what I do affects others in a negative way, then I'm going to stop for the sake of the kingdom. I thank you that you first loved us, that you showed us that supreme example of love where you willingly lay down your life for us, for all that follow you. You never held on to your own rights, your own authority when you so easily could have done. I pray that we could follow that example, that we could put love beyond, first, ahead of all things. Father, help us to see if there are indeed any idols in our life, anything that is keeping us from you, and just do away with them. Because we know that you are bigger, that you are better, Father. Amen. Amen. Um, The band are going to come and lead us.